Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You're Locked on Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. This was a spectacular Game 3. The Warriors came back. They had the halftime lead, but then they came back after a big third quarter and won 118-113 to take a 3-0 lead in the NBA Finals, looking very much like they will win a championship, though, of course, nothing is set. Warriors fans know that better than anyone. And to talk with me about it is actually a first-time Locked on Warriors guest, somebody who I've had on other podcasts many times, but my friend Kevin Pelton. Kevin Pelton writes for ESPN Insider. We had a lot of different thoughts on this game. And this episode is brought to you by SeatGeek, a great place to buy and sell tickets. You use the promo code LOWARRIORS using the settings tab on their great app. Conversation runs a little bit over half an hour. I think it's like 32 minutes. And uh, stay tuned for afterwards. There's an announcement that uh, you might want to hear. So that's at the at the end of it after the whole after the whole Pelton thing. So hope you enjoy it. It was a, a spectacular game. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks as always for having me. There are so many different angles to talk about with this game three. And I I think while there we can we can go in some different directions, I think what was striking to me was Cleveland outplayed the Warriors for probably about 43 minutes of this game unambiguously overall, not not second by second, and yet they still were not able to come out with the win. Yeah, well, I mean, you could argue that they outplayed them for 46, 46 minutes, second by second, uh, that being LeBron James's entire time on the court. And then it was really just the two minutes he spent on the bench that this game got away from them. Yeah, I mean, so I, I posted this stat on Twitter before we started recording. Cleveland, LeBron sat for two minutes and 23 seconds. And in that time, the Cavs were outscored by the Warriors 12 to nothing, which meant they had, and they scored zero points. Yeah, so they had a zero offensive rating, a 204 defensive rating, and thus a negative 204.1 net rating. I mean, that's that's mind boggling. And, you know, it's it's been the story of the Cavs throughout this season, really throughout since LeBron James came back, that despite the incandescent talent of Kyrie Irving that was on display in this game, Despite Kevin Love, who did not have a great night offensively, but contributed in other ways, or at least as a scorer, uh, they just cannot find a way to succeed with LeBron on the bench. And that's why he had to play 46 minutes in this game. And that probably was a factor down the stretch. Although I would say that my hot take is I think the fatigue angle is a little overrated tonight. I think so, too, because... I mean, I think the Warriors sat their guys too much and nearly cost themselves the game by being so reluctant to use Curry. And all those guys ended up around 40 minutes, but I mean, they could they could push it a little bit harder than that. And I think that had Durant not hit that crazy pull-up three and a couple of things gone differently, one of the stories of this game would just be Steve Kerr continuing to be conservative and the Warriors basically surviving it in this case, but they they nearly fell not only because of that, but partially because of that. No, I mean, there were minus six in the nine minutes that Ian Clark played. And it was pretty clearly in the fourth quarter that like, and to step back and talk about this from a big picture, like that's about as good basketball as you'll ever see play. Like that was close to the pinnacle, I think. Do you agree? 
Yeah, it was certainly up there. I mean, there were some weird things in terms of like, I think Draymond committed some stupid fouls and things like that. But overall, I mean, the execution was incredible. And even a lot of the missed shots in this game, particularly from the the Cleveland's perspective in the second half, the Warriors in a little bit in the first half, a lot of their missed shots were open. Those were well-executed plays. They just ended up not going in. It, it is a make-or-miss league, after all. Yeah, and Bill Simmons' comment during the game was, it was like, this is what it would be like if they if guys really tried during the All-Star game. And uh, certainly the Warriors practically have an All-Star lineup that they can throw out there. So it sort of makes sense from their standpoint. But anyway, Ian Clark kind of, I, I don't think he belonged at that level. And they were minus six in his nine minutes, plus nine in the the other 39 minutes. So, you know, if this had gone the other way, we'd be looking at that in the same way as now we're looking at the LeBron scenario. Uh, Kirk can afford to be conservative because of the fact that they're up 2-0 in the series. Uh, they didn't. But, you know, from a like historic standpoint, from an observer standpoint, like you wanted to see the Warriors really try to make history and overcome what was, you know, their most challenging game, probably game. Yeah. Their most challenging game to date in this undefeated postseason. I, I think I would say, would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that, especially because the Spurs game one was so different. You know, they got absolutely worked in the first, first half. And then the second half was just different because the personnel changed. And so that was, they were challenged in that way, but they weren't, they didn't have to overcome the same forces that put them down. Right. Okay. So let's talk about why I think that the fatigue was overrated. I went back after the game because the last three minutes all seemed to go so quickly. Like it was, you know, one minute I'm sitting there with all of the web pages open so I can start booking my travel to the Bay Area for game five of this series next Monday. And the next, all of a sudden, the Warriors have won the game. And I, I'm closing those pages, uh, as it turns out. I Going back, what we, what struck me was, you know, rec- before the series, I rewatched game seven of the last year's NBA finals. Or no, actually, I, I rewatched the Christmas Day game is actually what I'm thinking of. And throughout that game, even though I knew the Warriors lost, it still felt like they were going to win the whole time. And I had the opposite experience tonight where rewatching those last three minutes, it kept felt feeling like the Cavaliers were going to win this game, even though logically I knew they didn't. That's really interesting. And I, I was kind of, you know, doing the doing it on the Twitter NBA show live. It forced me to process this game very differently than I usually do because you're talking about it. And I didn't think that they were going to win until Durant hit that shot. And then I can't, you'll remember because you just rewatched it. The shot after that, I think that was Kyrie. That after he missed that shot, I went, okay, you know, like, and at that point, you know, there were only like 20 seconds left in the game. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it really escalated very quickly. There was a handful of timeouts, you know, starting at about the 355 mark where the game was a little, uh, a little choppy. I guess with 343, the Warriors call timeout. They're down three at that point. Clay misses a three. Smith makes a three on the other end. It's a six point game. And that's probably the most it felt like, okay, the Cavs got this. Uh, and then, yeah, it, it really didn't because then you had the play where Kyrie's, you know, just under the two-minute mark, Kyrie's layup falls off the rim. You know, and you want to talk about fatigue. Like, that's the same shot he hit throughout the game. Like, it's the same quality of shot. He's doing the same thing. It's just the crazy bounce that no one should ever be able to hit. This time he didn't hit it instead of the times that he did hit it in the third quarter and early in the fourth. Uh, but then after that, he he has enough energy to hustle and get the offensive rebound. And so the Cavs at that point have the ball up four with 150 left. You're in pretty good shape at that point, I think. 
Yeah, and then that's when LeBron, he shot that turnaround and Durant got the ball. And uh, I think that was the one where then Durant got fouled kind of in movement, not even really, it wasn't, from what I recall, it wasn't a shooting foul. And then those two shots then cut the lead down to two. Well, it it wasn't free throws at all at that point. That was, uh, that was- Oh, you're right. Corver had the take foul because Kevin Love was down on the ground after that shot. With the tweaked ankle, that's right. Right. Uh, and, And so- after the timeout was when Durant got switched on to Tristan Thompson, drew the switch on to Tristan Thompson, and beat him for a runner just outside the paint. That's right, to going to the left side of the floor. That's right. And then, and then, yeah, next time down, Corver missed the shot. Durant gets the rebound, makes the shot, and then you know that was that was it. And I mean, Cleveland, no, that wasn't it. I mean, we should talk about how the game actually ended, since considering we're right there mentally. So then. Irving gets the ball, and what was most shocking to me was not the shot that they ended up with, though that was a little bit jarring considering they were down one, but how much time it took. Because if they had pushed hard, then they would have had a a very real chance for a two-for-one. I mean, the interesting thing is they still sort of had a chance for a two-for-one. It was about a 1.8 second differential when I went back and looked at it. And that's like right on the borderline of where you could consider doing it if you had a a playing out the possession if you had a timeout as they did. Yeah, but at the same point, so like my my approach with that, granted teams almost never do this, is if if they're going to wait the whole time, the, the arc on the shot and if it gets a rebound that sort of thing like that might burn all of it i i'm willing to take that risk if need be if if, it, if the other team's going to go for it i would shoot a three honestly if the team refused to foul me with a two second differential and i was up one i would shoot a three in that circumstance yeah i mean that's definitely the way to go in terms of taking the most time off the clock uh, it, but it's it's right there at the point where you could maybe ca- make the case. It wasn't as egregiously bad rewatchy as as I thought it was, and you know, kind of Twitter thought it was. But yeah, I mean, Kyrie had to get into the offense earlier. He just and it was a no pass possession, which is a uh, one of our our friend David Locke's favorite terms for plays where the point guard dribbles it up and uh, you know just never never uh, never loses touch of the basketball, lets anyone else have it. Um, and there was not a lot of off-ball action going on either. No, yeah, it didn't on both that segment and then the segment immediately following it after the after the missed shot. It didn't look like Cleveland really knew what they were doing. They, yeah. you know, they, they so after that it was a two-second differential. They're just kind of standing around watching. Then they they kind of did a a limited trap on Curry and actually totally messed that up because Draymond Green got the ball. If they had fouled him, this like that last couple possessions could look very different. He was right. able to get the ball to Durant on time, and then they fouled Durant. And by that point, I think about 13 seconds had elapsed. And you know, you can do that, but you ended up fouling a very good free throw shooter. And, you know, he made both of those. And then that's what led to the play that was fascinating in the greater context for me of the this trilogy. And I mean, while I don't think he deserves this because of everything else that he did, particularly in 2015, some people see Iguodala as the goat of 2016 because that the, you know, the the shot, the layup that LeBron blocked and kind of let every as everything was going to hell in game seven. And then he gets the steal on LeBron when he went up quickly for a three down three and basically salted away the game. Yes. I mean, it was like the ultimate example of his quick hands, which we all know about. But uh, first off, the willingness to take that risk in that situation, because if you if you reach in the wrong spot, you know, if you get LeBron across the wrist, that's all of a sudden a three shot foul, putting him at the line with a chance to tie the game. 
Right. And it is a little bit easier in the context that then you would have the shot for the last chance. But still, I mean, considering yeah. how how Cleveland had struggled to make threes in this game, granted, a lot of that was missing shots they normally make. But to get to concede that when the, the Cavs hadn't scored in two and a half minutes, I mean, that would have been that would have been pretty devastating for them. I mean, LeBron's not the greatest free throw shooter in the world. I mean, those would have been I wonder what those would have been some of the most clutch free throws of his entire life. Would well, interesting. He, to, he had the two last year. They were they were up three at that point, and he split them right at the well, end of Game Seven. Well, and didn't he miss? Didn't he miss a couple free throws late in Game Six of the 2014 Finals that kind of led to the Ray Allen thing, or was that Kawhi? I remember no, him he, having. He did, yes. Yeah. I mean, Kawhi Kawhi missed free throws down the stretch as well. That's how they were able to tie the game. He split two free throws, but yeah, the the offensive rebound was off of a LeBron missed free throw, and I think there was one in the previous sequence too. Uh, ESPN's Tom Haberstroh has been pointing out, you know, since early in the playoffs uh, with his, you know, following LeBron, uh, adjusting his routine at the free throw line that this year he has taken very few free throws and rarely attacked the basket in those late game situations as compared to past years. So, you know, I, I mean, in this case, they probably had to go for a three with only one timeout, but another interesting example of that. Something else that to me was notable, and I've talked about this a little bit with the three-point shooting, is the disparity in contested and uncontested shots. So generally speaking, shots near the rim are contested, even if they're good, just because there is a guy physically close enough that it counts as contested. You can think of some of the Kyrie layups as a good example here. Cleveland was 24 of 44 on contested shots, so 54%. That's very, very good. They were 16 of 46 on uncontested shots. The Warriors were 12 of 48. So that's, I'd say off the top of my head, 45 is good, but they were 18 of 35 on uncontested. So you think about that difference where they made more uncontested shots despite taking 11 fewer attempts. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you look at it and that's again, you know, a lot of the ball game, the, the, Warriors three point advantage was not as significant as game two. I mean, they only made four more of them, but for them to do that in 11 fewer attempts hugely powers their efficiency offensively. And not only that, but the way that it was distributed, they were nine of 14 on threes in the first quarter and then just really (laughs) fell off after that point. But that was really all they needed. I mean, that was kind of the story of Clay Thompson's offensive game as well. I mean, he was wonderful defensively overall, but in the first quarter, he had 16 points on seven, on eight shooting possessions, seven shots. And then he had 14 points in the rest of the game. Yeah, we've talked so much about the end of the game, and understandably so, but we should probably look at the start because, you know, the way Cleveland came out, the energy that LeBron in particular had, this could have been a situation like last year where Golden State fell hopelessly behind in the first quarter, and their shooting was the biggest reason that didn't happen, I think. Right, yeah. Thompson made—some of them were hard, some of them were clean looks, Cleveland messing up, and yeah, that allowed—I thought Cleveland played excellently early on in the game. LeBron in particular, he was just incredible early in this game for the third straight game. This was the third straight time where he was fantastic in the first half and incredible in the first quarter in particular— and yet faded off a little bit in the second half. And some of that is just regression to the mean. You know, he's not going to be just the the absolute demon he was in the first half every second of every game. I mean, I'm not going to doubt him, but I mean, his first half line, 27 points, 11 of 14 from the field, three of five from three, three assists, three turnovers. I mean, you can't do much better than that. And he was plus four when his team was da- when his team was down six and he only sat for like a minute and a half. So he was four of 13 in the second half. Yeah, I think that's right. 
Before we move on, I want to take a quick moment to tell you about SeatGeek. SeatGeek is a great way to buy and sell tickets to sporting events. There might not be another Warriors home game. We don't really know, so there might not be a Game 5. But really for anything else, for theater, for other sporting events, you know, Giants A's, Raiders for now, Niners, all that sort of stuff. And why SeatGeek is so great is because... It is an aggregator, so that means that you only have to look one place for tickets. They're going to go around to all the other ticket sites and pull everything in one place. You don't have to worry about looking in different spots. And also because they use DealScore. What DealScore tries to do is it tries to marry ticket price and ticket quality together. And people are going to look for tickets at different qualities at different prices. That's just the way it works. You know, some people want to sit on the floor. Some people want to sit in the best upper reserve seats they can get. That's actually something I really like in a lot of different arenas. And what SeatGeek does is they use that deal score to say, hey, we can't tell you where to sit, but we can tell you that these are the best seats in different price ranges. And that also puts pressure on sellers to get a good deal score because if their tickets are way, way down on the list, then people aren't going to buy them. So it helps out if you're looking to if you're looking to buy tickets, then it puts that pressure on everything else. And another great thing about SeatGeek is I like the way that their promotion goes for Locked On Warriors. So you use the promo code LO Warriors using the settings tab, and you get a twenty dollar rebate on your first purchase. So you enter the under settings tab, and then you just buy whatever you were going to buy before. If it's tickets to a show, tickets to a concert, a Warriors game, whatever it's going to be. And then you tell them it came from us and you just get 20 bucks. It's pretty awesome. And so check it out again. LO Warriors is the promo code. And of course, the app is Seeky. So it seemed from following the postgame press conferences that a big point of contention in Cleveland was when James had Draymond Green switched onto him and uh, drove, but really wasn't aggressive necessarily trying to get to the basket and kicked out to Corver for that missed three that we talked about with the warrior or with the Cavaliers up to just inside a minute left. What did you think of that shot and that that decision? Corver is one of the best catch and shoot guys in the modern NBA. I mean, he's not necessarily as automatic this year, you would know better than I, that he than he was in prior years, but I thought it was a re- a reasonable play. I don't think he was going to like draw a foul on Draymond or anything like that, so I had no problem with it. Yeah, I mean, I thought I'm amazed that anyone has a problem with it. Uh it I mean, well, that, that's kind of, you know, you know, results over process people. That's the way that goes. Like, think about if MJ makes that pass to Paxton or the one to Kerr and they miss that shot. You know, the, the same thing would have happened. But both those guys made those shots. And above and beyond that, there's the, you know, longtime stereotype that the star has to be the only one who takes a shot in those situations. I mean, we've already gone through it in this year's playoffs with Paul George uh, dating back to the very first day of this postseason. So, you know, I guess in what appears to functionally be the last day of the postseason, why not revisit that discussion? Well, not, we have a lot of other things that we can discuss, but one thing briefly is I, I firmly believe that we know who's going to win the finals, but I do not feel like it is a lock that this series is going to end in four games. It's going to be interesting to see what kind of motivation Cleveland comes out with in game four. I mean, I you know, this is a team as a defending champion that's going to have a lot of pride, uh, both in terms of not getting swept and then also the idea of denying the Warriors this perfect postseason. At the same time, that that gives Golden State something really tangible to play for above and beyond just ending this series. Well, there's so much spite involved. I mean, the Warriors know that letting off the gas pedal is not a good idea against Cleveland. They, they, there's no better motivator than what happened to them last year. So that's why I think the first, just like it was in this game, the first eight minutes are going to be absolutely central, but probably starters versus starters are, are really close to it. 
and how they fare in that time. If the Warriors end up ever pushing the lead to like 10, 14 in that sort of way, then maybe not even necessarily LeBron, but some of the other guys maybe just kind of go, ah, and then that's enough because the Warriors are so good that they're going to go in that way. But let's talk about some of the other substance of the game. I, I thought that Draymond Green could have been the real goat of this game. I think that mm-hmm. it's an underappreciated part of it that the, the series so far that he has been legitimately terrible at playing with foul trouble, considering how essential he is defensively. I have in prior years pilloried Clay Thompson and Stephen Curry for the exact same thing. I am not going to spare Draymond. And a lot of his fouls in this game were completely preventable. These weren't just like, oh, I'm playing good defense, and it's just what happens when you contest fouls. He got one terrible one on an offensive rebound where he had no chance of getting it. That was his fifth foul. His fourth foul was just kind of unnecessarily chippy after a turnover. It's just the type of thing that a player as good as he is should just avoid. For sure, and especially when you know you've been in foul trouble as long as he has, to then come back into the game at the start of the fourth quarter and pick up your fifth foul. You know, when you have very little shot of actually securing the offensive rebound there, like the 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 cost to benefit does not work out there. And uh, but then to his credit, you know, I don't th- he didn't come out at that point, right? He played the entire fourth quarter, I think. No, he sat for I think he sat for a, a small portion of time. They went okay. with 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 Zaza Pachulia, but then they came back to him. I believe that's what happened. Okay, when Durant came back for him, I guess at the start of the fourth quarter, yeah. So, yeah, he, so I, he was out for a period, yeah. But but I mean, so so that could have been one of the other stories of this game. And I mean, basically, Kerr until late really refusing to go to Green at center lineups, partially due to foul trouble and partially just because he's a very conservative coach. I mean, that is something that he has done throughout. Is he likes to stick with the kumbaya with all the those players, Ian Clark in particular, I mean, we talked about it a little bit earlier. He can't guard Kyrie Irving. So probably not best to play him when Kyrie Irving's on the floor. Go with McCaw, go with something different just to make it work. Yeah, I mean, you know, the centers combined to play 32 minutes ultimately in this game. Now, uh, they were minus seven in those minutes. Uh, so that could have been the other thing to, to go back that could have cost the Warriors. I mean, basically, this is kind of what what I I know I talked about before the series in terms of the idea that you know Steve Kerr is probably a better coach over an eighty undoubtedly I should say a better coach over an eighty two game season but if you're talking about like trying to sweep a playoff series or win an individual playoff game Mike Brown's probably likely to be a little more ruthless in terms of you know attacking uh, you know going small uh, extending his starter minutes than Kerr is. Well, yeah, I mean, game three of the Portland series is a great example of that. They were down. He thought they had a little bit of an edge and he kept his starters in for that third quarter. And he got he painted himself into a little bit of a corner in that fourth quarter, but it was enough. And they came back and won that game. If they don't win that game. The 15 and no doesn't happen. It's so fascinating to think back to that point, having been at the game, because, you know, at that at that point, no one is thinking about the idea of a perfect postseason. It's just like, hey, can the Warriors finally figure out how to sweep a terrible opponent since they've only had one sweep in their six uh, there's seven playoff series they've won so far in the last and two seasons. Sweep, and that sweep was fluky because they, they had a crazy comeback in game four or game three against the Pelicans. Like that game right. they should have lost too. And they could have lost right. game one, I believe, in that series. New Orleans, like they had been up 14. New Orleans cut it to like two or three. And then the Warriors ended up pulling it out. And, and that's, yeah, that's their only sweep of the Curry Curry era, much less the strength of numbers era of the entire time that they've been successful since 2013. Okay, so how have we gotten this far in the podcast without talking about Kevin Durant's last three minutes? Yeah, I, I, it's, it's a very good point. I mean, I got carried off in a lot of different directions. 
he was Golden State's offense. I mean, this was a circumstance where, to a large point, they they weren't really running their normal stuff because Kevin Durant just had the ball in his hands and was magic. Yeah, I guess it was only the the last uh, 115, really, but that that ISO against Thompson, and then the pull-up three in transition, the that was kind of, uh, you know, you talk about the results-oriented nature. Like, if he misses that shot, people are like, wow, how could you not run the offense? That's a terrible shot to take in that situation. But you make it, and uh, and then you're the hero, and you win finals MVP. Yeah, and I mean, that is, in all likelihood, that will be the definitive moment of not only this finals, but of these playoffs for the Warriors. Like, that is the moment right now. It, it might still be uh, Steph uh, crossing over LeBron or, and beating him in isolation. But yes, that, that yeah. probably is. And, yeah, and, except except for the whole he double dribbled part of that, but it's right. okay. Yeah, yeah. there's always highlight highlight truthers. Of course, the, the process element of that, I think, to give Durant a little more benefit of that than I just did, is you know that is again one case where I think you could see the fatigue in LeBron. He's not. You know, he's not active defensively on that play. He's really backpedaling on his heels. And I think that's how Durant knew that, you know, I can get the pull up, get off the pull up uh, and get a clean shot without a contest there. Yeah, and it was it was a, a very good look, and he's so long that even if if LeBron had given a good contest, that's still different on KD than it would have been on somebody like Steph or Clay. You know, Durant's uh, he's miles above it anyway, and it was also just an overall fascinating circumstance because we've seen Steph Curry take that shot. We've even seen Steph Curry take that shot with Kevin Durant on the other team, but to see Durant do it with all these other options was pretty incredible, especially in a the game they were they were trailing by two. They weren't. It wasn't like they were trailing by three with like thirty seconds left or anything. Yep, I mean that's that's a legacy shot right there. It is, and you know Durant. I thought by and large in the early part of the game, he I thought he floated a little bit too much. I thought that uh, especially offensively, like this was not his most dominant performance. He was spectacular in games one and two overall, but he had it when they needed it. And, you know, he ends up with with this impressive line. And another thing that I wanted to, to talk about briefly was Kevin Love. Kevin Love had six steals and led the game with seven deflections in this game, which was just super strange, but he did a nice job. Yeah, as I said earlier, he compensated for the fact that he couldn't get the three-pointer going. It was one of seven from beyond the arc. Got to the free-throw line a little bit, got to the offensive glass, which Jeff Van Gundy was very excited about after having called for that on uh, the low post last week. And then the six steals, that's uh, an incredible feat for a power forward. So let's let's kind of run through if there's anything else anything else of import in this game. I thought that David West was better. He was more assertive offensively, but he still struggles to defend guys who can actually shoot. But it just didn't end up being you know it didn't end up being that big a deal, though they were outscored significantly in his minutes. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder how much of that is the overlap with you know just Durant and uh, Curry both being on the bench. And those are you know, yeah. generally yeah. The I think in terms of plus minus, minus, that's a, that's a big factor, and and also a lot of times that's a point when Cleveland can get pretty aggressive offensively. So yeah, I mean, th- he did have a a one hundred eight defensive rating. The big issue there was actually that they couldn't score a lot of it when he was on the floor. And I've been critical of Kerr's straight up second unit stuff for a long time for that reason that that unit needs to get stops in order to get offense. But they don't even have you know they have a different kind of ball handler with Draymond and with Iguodala because Clay Thompson is it he doesn't really create much for others when he has the ball in his hands well at this point I think it's fair to say that Steve Kerr is probably not going to change it I would say that's completely fair the only thing that he could do is sort of like what happened in game two where because of Draymond's circumstance Durant just played more minutes 
And so that's sort of a circumstance. But in terms of the approach, I sincerely doubt we're going to see a change. Right. How many minutes do you think LeBron plays in game seven or game four? Well, so I want to do this as a proportion of the competitive minutes, because I'm not sure if the game, you know, if it gets really out of hand, he'll come out. But I think that he will play more than 95% of the competitive minutes in the game. I think he'll play basically the whole time until they're out. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I I, I tend to agree. And I mean, at that point, you, you know, he's, it's been building on, on it for this all this time. And it's also fascinating because this series is very different from a lot of the other series because LeBron works his butt off constantly, you know, just like all these guys do. But this series in particular, because of the fast pace, because of the strength of both teams, these have been such incredible high stress minutes for all of these guys. And I, I've been super impressed with that overall in this series. Right. And I think that was evident this game uh you know the the stretches where there weren't wasn't a timeout and then sometimes early timeouts i think because of the fatigue so that that created some really interesting circumstances yeah there were some possessions like i think there were a couple stretches where like three or four minutes without a stoppage and you could see the guys just like walking back just dead tired and you very rarely see that with nba players on this stage because you know there are a lot of stoppages and things like that but there were some spots where there weren't as many fouls and everything and they were just giving it every single thing they had Yep. We should talk about Kyrie a little bit. He uh, remarkably managed to have, according to basketballreference.com, the most points in a game this postseason by a player who did not have a three-pointer in the game, eclipsing DeMar DeRozan, quite fittingly, and then Kawhi Leonard, who both scored 37 points. So he goes 16 of 23, or 16 of 22 inside the arc, an incredible display of finishing and shot making, and yet somehow misses all seven of his threes. Including one late that was very important. And and Kyrie, that's kind I mean, obviously he's going to make more threes than that, but he is such a magician inside the arc at just creating it, getting fouls, getting separation. I thought there were some possessions where he just bedeviled. I mean, obviously he bedeviled like Ian Clark and stuff, but there were some places where he just beat Clay Thompson and he's good enough to make that happen. And Cleveland has a lot of that, you know, the idea we talked about this, you and I, in the 2016 finals, and of course Nate and I did as well, that Cleveland has these guys that king that are the best at what are typically considered hard shots and Kyrie is the cream of the crop for that the problem for them is the warriors can generate by and large better shots than that i i would say that you know specifically going back to last year's finals we were sitting together watching game 5 and at points dur- during the third and fourth quarter that's what seemed to be happening in terms of the way that you know lebron and kyrie were both going as well as they did the difference being kevin durant healthy Steph Curry, and Draymond Green not being suspended. Right. And I'm going to go back and look at it. I haven't done it yet. Maybe I'll put this in the post monologue about how the Warriors have defended when Green has not been on the floor, because that that to me has been something that's been interesting. Like in this game, he had a pretty solid, I think he had like a 106 defensive rating. Yeah, 106.4. And overall it was 109.7. So he played more than half the game, obviously. So to see how that works out, and they've really been able to take advantage of the time when he's off. And that's part of the reason why him being in foul trouble is such a big deal. Yeah, I would recommend he not do that in game four. Yeah, well, unless unless Joe Lacob and Peter Gruber want to get an extra what twelve million dollars because they can get a game five. Yes, uh, eleven million was Darren Ravel's estimate, and that might be conservative. It very well might be, and um, they don't own the in this stadium. They don't own any of the uh, uh, surrounding revenue generators because that we'll we'll see what happens. But I'm going to be very excited. I think this is going to be a very different game four in a three zero series, just because Cleveland A is an incredibly good team. 
and B has all the reason because it's an NBA finals, just go to go out there. And what I was remembering, what you might know this better than I, is that the last time LeBron was down 3-0 in a finals was back in 2007, 10 years ago. And I believe that while they lost that game to the Spurs, that it was still close pretty much to the end. I gotta tell you, I have no memory of that series whatsoever, except that going in, uh, that was the first year that the, of the true stack geek smackdown and the only way that i could win the the competition was as if i picked someone different than i believe it was justin kabatko then of basketball reference who was the uh, the other person in front so i had to pick the Cavs to win the series <laughs> and that did not go super great yeah i think nate had to do that against me he picked the Cavs last year so he could beat me and then he ended up winning and yeah i was right it was uh the spurs won that last game 83 to 82 i'm guessing we're going to see that scored about the end of the third quarter <laughs> In, in game four of this series, maybe yeah, even close to halftime. If that's the final score, then I will be uh, be very surprised and very concerned. So I'll just open it up to you. Anything else that you feel like if we're telling the story of this game, we have to tell? Um, I'm trying to think, are there any Twitter memes we missed here along the way? Yeah, see, I didn't get to see any of that because we we're doing the Twitter NBA show. So I, ironically enough, I don't get to read Twitter during the Twitter NBA show. Right, right. People talking about how terrible Darren Williams is. But a lot of that is because he doesn't get to play with LeBron as much. Well, so what do you what? How did you feel about Steph Curry's game? I mean, I thought that he was awesome by and large in the first half, and then he was a little bit too passive in the second half. Yeah, I mean, I think it was the kind of game that he can have in this setting because of the fact that you know you talked about KD being quiet, although he ended up with thirty one points. Like their stars don't need to be loud. The Cavaliers' stars need to be loud, and and they just don't. And you know, Curry's threes in the first quarter, along with Clay's, were a big factor in keeping them in the game. And also his rebounding in this series has been bizarrely fantastic. I think I think this is how I want to end it. So beyond Curry getting, I think it was 13 rebounds today. Looking at the fourth quarter of this game, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, and Stephen Curry combined for 16 of the Warriors' 19 shots. Iguodala missed two, David West made one. For Cleveland, they had a little bit of a more balanced approach. You know, because Kyle Korver was one of four, Richard Jefferson was zero for one. So Kyrie and LeBron were a combined four for 12, but then the rest of their team was two for 11. Wow. Yep. That's, that's about sums it up. Yeah. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on. All right. Always a pleasure, Danny. Thanks again to Kevin Pelton for taking the time to come on. You can read him at ESPN Insider. I highly recommend it. He is one of, if not my absolute favorite basketball writers going. I read everything he does, and you should too. And you can follow him on Twitter at kpelton, K-P-E-L-T-O-N. I said on the podcast I was going to look it up, and I did. The Warriors have allowed 101.8 points per 100 possessions during Draymond's time on the floor the last two games, which is 58 minutes, and 116.3 when he's been off the floor, which is 38 minutes in the last two games. So yeah, that's a pretty big difference. And there isn't much garbage time in that. I think there's like two minutes in in game two. So not a whole lot of noise in that data. So an impressive overall kind of part of a reflection of his impact. And when you consider also that he has been compromised to a degree just because of the foul trouble, he played a lot of the time in both of those games in foul trouble, even the, the his appearances on the floor, which is less than he usually plays. So that's something to watch in game four. And of course, moving forward for the Warriors and this was a wonderful game. I, I I really did enjoy it. And my announcement, I teased it at the beginning, is that I am not going to be continuing Locked on Warriors after this playoff run. I am going to, of course, continue through the finals however long it goes, and I will do podcasts on that, doing the Locked on Warriors that you know and hopefully love. But I am not continuing. Uh, I have David Locke, who runs the Locked on Network. He has a, a, a 
bold, broad vision of what he wants with Locked On, with the whole network, and I love what he has done with it. But as many of you know, I am incredibly busy, and he wants to maintain, and I understand this, he wants to maintain that vision consistently moving forward. And I was and am uncomfortable with committing to that necessarily, saying, you know, I I definitely plan on doing Warriors podcasting in the future, but I'm not sure with my own schedule, with everything else that I do, that I could do five days a week. And I I never wanted to leave fans of the Lockdown Network, Lockdown Warriors fans in a lurch and the people who want that daily thing on their commute. So David and I had had a conversation a long time ago about the idea of transitioning. And I'm thrilled that he has, that there is going to be no lag because the Warriors outsiders, Drew Schiller and Grant Liffman are going to take over. We're actually going to do a crossover podcast. I guess you could call it a transition or whatever on, it'll come out on Friday. We're going to record it on Thursday. And then I am definitely doing something for all the future games. They might as well. We might actually have two podcasts kind of on the same network because I want to continue telling the story. And I feel like that's important. And I, I feel like I owe it to you, even though this is technically a free podcast, those of you who have been so supportive. And again, the my decision is in no way related to the lack of support or anything like that. It has been an absolutely exhilarating run that is not yet over. And I've been and thrilled with the support, the experience of doing this, not only of just producing material with this frequency, but doing a lot of it solo. Like that has been game changing for me on an individual level. The idea that, well, I know some of you don't love those podcasts as much as some of the other stuff. The idea of being able to do 20, 30 minutes in a monologue of sorts, obviously there's a lot of preparation that goes into that, is something that I had legitimate sleepless nights about before Locked On started. And now I don't have them at all. And I am so thankful to David Locke, to the Locked On Podcast Network, to everybody who's been a guest, everyone who's been a referral, all the crossover episodes for making this what it has been. And we're going to hit about 1.2 million listens for the season. And I started right before the start of the year. That was something I was very adamant about. So to do 1.2 million listens in that time is absolutely incomprehensible. I'm so deeply thankful. And as I said, this is not the end of my Warriors podcasting. This is not the end of anything like that. It is just the end of my relationship with Locked On Warriors. When it ends, I am so thrilled for the experience. And I'm happy that we were able to come to a solution that is best for everybody, that I am able to finish this run, finish telling this story, and already have the ability to put this in capable hands that will start immediately. I'm thrilled for that. That's what I wanted. That's part of the reason why David Locke and I had that conversation a long time ago, because that was what I always wanted. And it was a pretty recent development that everything got cleared. I'm beyond thrilled that it happened. And I'm beyond thankful for everybody who has made this what it is. And as always, if you have feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, Danny LaRue, NBA at gmail.com at Danny LaRue on Twitter. And it's a little bit funny because I intended on sending out the medium thing I talked about yesterday about like what people want from me moving forward long before this announcement of the transition. I had it, you know, in my queue a month ago. And as often happens with these sorts of things, it got away from me, especially doing the SI offseason previews, which are going well, but doing all that kind of stuff. And so it, it got away from me. And so I'm sure some people probably saw that as a signpost. And I guess those people were right in a sense. It was, it was never my intention to do that. I was going to kind of want to have that conversation about what you guys and girls want from me moving forward specifically, because I knew that I was going to be doing something different and it will be something. I don't know what it's going to be yet. This is not me leaving for another opportunity. This was me saying 
I had done I had done my part. I had told the story that I wanted to tell, and then it's time to pass it off. I'm thrilled that Drew and Grant are going to be taking it over, and I'm excited to talk with them tomorrow. If you want to support this show, support Locked On Warriors, and you definitely should. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. You can subscribe. You can download every episode, and you can also support our sponsors. That in this case is SeatGeek. You can buy and sell tickets there, and if you buy tickets, you can use the LO Warriors promo code which you enter under the settings tab and you get a $20 rebate on your first purchase. It's fantastic. It's what I've been using since long before they were sponsoring the show. And many of you know, I bought and sold tickets for a long time. It's actually how I paid off law school. So thank you so much for listening. I I cannot thank you enough. Take care and make it a great day. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.